Welcome to the Singapore Podcast, where we bring you authentic perspectives on East-West cultural exchange from the eyes of youth. Our guest today is Dr. Huang Yichun from Environmental Market Solution Incorporated. Receiving a Master of Architecture from the National University of Singapore and a PhD in Building Performance Diagnostics from Carnegie Mellon University, Dr. Huang worked as Assistant Professor at NUS before joining EMSI. We are honored to invite him to talk about his more than 15 years of experience working in the green building industry. Welcome to Singapore, Dr. Huang. Okay, thank you, Francis. Good to be here. So let me start off with questions about the green building sector. Uh, I'm certain that many of our, of our audience are not entirely sure, but very interest, interested in what makes a green building a green building anyway. Right, so um, it's a term that has been used a lot um, to a lot of definitions, but the original definition of a green building is a building that is environmentally responsible and resource efficient. So that's the overall um, um, direction. So for example, when you design a building to use less resources, you know, like that less air conditioning, um, less electricity um, for the light bulbs, or if you use environmentally friendly products like carpets or, or steel with high recycled content, or even using renewable energy. So anything that you do to um, be more responsible towards the environment to have lower impact and to be very efficient with that usage of resource, that's the original definition of a green building. So, um, um, but it, it becomes very big very quickly, right? So there are many dimensions um, by which a building would uh, affect the environment. Um, and a good way to structure um, this is to refer um, to, let's say, um, very prevalent green building certification systems. Okay, so at this point, you know, if we, if we look at, let's say, um, the LEED green building rating system. Okay, LEED stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So it's a very prevalent system um, used to define or mark um, buildings, whether they're green. Okay, so it's a set of rating systems for the design construction, operation, and maintenance of buildings, which was developed by this uh, Green Building Council. And inside this rating system, um, you have quite a lot of chapters, um, and that sort of gives you a, a good way to structure dimensions of um, a green building. Um, you have like integrated project planning and design. Okay, so that, that's the design aspect. You have the location and transport aspect of the building, so that promotes high density developments um, and prevent urban sprawl. Okay, basically reducing our physical footprint of cities and buildings. Um, you have sustainable sites okay, that looks at how we protect the existing flora, fauna, and water systems on site as you put up a building. Um, you talk about water efficiency, okay, um, reducing portable water usage um, within buildings. You talk about energy and efficiency, which is actually incidentally like the largest section, and we'll come back to that a bit. And it basically uh, tries to drive significant improvements in um, energy efficiency and promotes renewable energy usage. Um, and then you have two more parts. Um, one is on materials, right? So besides your basic uh, reduce, reuse, and recycle approaches, it also promotes data transparency of all the materials that you might use in a building. Um, data transparency, what we call environmental product decorations, are like certifications of products 
of how much carbon footprint, um, how much water, how much electricity went into the manufacture of these products. So as you bring different glass or steel or aluminum in your building, you want to be choosing uh, materials that have low environmental impact. Um, um, the last section is um, uh, indoor environment quality. So it talks about the air quality, lighting quality, thermal comfort, acoustics comfort within the building. Um, after all, a building is to facilitate um, productive human activity. So um, um, that human dimension is also considered. So you have quite a lot of dimensions, right? And if you look at different organizations or different um, rating systems, they do define it a little bit differently because it, it becomes very, very broad very quickly. Um, but the underlying principle, environmentally responsible and resource efficient. Um, so when we look at categories um, and, and when people discuss uh, green buildings, um, it might be broad, um, but it's usually not entirely comprehensive. But usually when we, we structure things and we try to put definitions to things, um, it, it has to be organized around something that's meaningful. So usually um, all these definitions, including a long list I just talked about, um, would focus on two aspects, right? Um, the first aspect is that of impact, right? We want to be discussing things that are impactful. Um, so that's why just now I alluded to the fact that if you look at, say, the LEED um, green building rating system, a lot of it focuses on energy efficiency because buildings account for more than half of energy use um, within countries globally and so on and so forth. And about 40% of that comes from building systems such as your air conditioning systems and lighting systems and so forth. So um, that certainly is very high impact. And most of the time when we talk about green buildings, you tend to focus on that first. Um, the next section will be, let's say water, okay? Um, water is a very precious resource. Um, I think um, a lot of us would have realized that more than a billion people live without clean, safe water, right? Even in Singapore right now, right? We have what, 15% reduction in water consumption um, over the last decade, but we still have to import our water. Even in China, okay? China actually has pretty low renewable um, water sources and is further challenged by the fact that it's very un unevenly distributed geographically, okay? Um, a lot of water comes from the South, a lot of the cities are in the North, and um, China has to invest very heavily in moving fresh water around. So water is a big topic that's up and coming um, in sustainability. So that's one part, right? You will focus on things that are impactful. Um, the next one you would focus on are aspects which are ready for change, which are ready to react and change um, towards meeting ideas or principles. So um, a lot of green building definitions um, nowadays would focus on materials um, and what I talked about a moment ago, um, data transparency or environmental product decorations, um, because that is going to be the basis for very um, rational or very objective um, coordination and evaluations and meeting um, carbon reductions. But currently, globally, locally, you know, there's very, very little data, very little dependable data. So through the green building efforts like certification programs or mandatory uh, local policies, um, they are now starting to uh, promote more data transparency in materials and changing the industry to provide all this um, data. So that's really the original definition of green buildings. But over the last five years, there's actually increasing focus on health and well-being of people inside buildings. 
Okay, like the last section of the lead uh, standard I was talking about, the indoor environmental quality. Okay, so there's actually a new term on the market besides green building um, for sustainability, besides the term green building, we actually have a new term called um, healthy buildings. Okay, and if you look at, let's say, also, uh, another rating system called a well um, healthy building certification system, it basically takes um, increasing body of research um, spanning medical science, um, public health and policy, which demonstrates the impact of buildings on occupant health and organizes it into a, a certification program. So this um, focus on health and wellness um, is also now um, a significant part of sustainability. Um, it complements green building. Some, some people take it to be the same. Um, sometimes it's like two different terms, but pretty much under the same um, category of sustainability. Sure, so a green building essentially is a building that is sustainable both for the outside environment and for the inside inhabitants. So it's healthy on two aspects, am I right? Right, right. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, since we have established what a green building is, so what do you think uh, are the positive influence uh, the green buildings might have on people's lives, on the society or planet Earth? Mm. Yeah, so um, it, it works at varying levels. So let's scale through them um, from direct to more abstracted um, benefits. Um, the most direct impact and what brought um, action in the market, um, obviously is um, direct impact on dollars and cents, the bottom line, okay? Um, since a green building is resource efficient, well, Environmentally responsible is great, but let's talk about the resource efficient part. It means that you can run your building um, more efficiently, even financially, okay? Um, it will use less energy, therefore you have a lower electrical bill. Um, it will use less water, you have a lower water bill. Um, and operations, um, 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 considerations are much simpler. Uh, so that's uh, a lot uh, less outlay um, for facilities management. So largely over the last 20 years, um, it's been driven by this bottom line approach, right? Um, the bottom line of um, that the green building is more resource efficient and therefore it's cheaper and gives you better financial rate of returns. Um, as you move out, let's say the next level, um, the people, okay? Um, good, a green building um, now also includes good indoor environmental qualities. And that is actually very good for people in terms of health and wellness. Um, that concept used to be a little bit more qualitative maybe 20 years ago, but over the last 20 years, really, there's been a lot more research to quantify the benefits of a green building um, and a healthy building. So for example, our company, um, our parent company, really, um, we did a five-year study with um, Harvard called FX, Cognitive Effects um, Study, over the last couple of years, and it sort of quantified the benefits of a green building or a healthy building. Um, and in a green building, you have, for example, better air quality, um, higher rates of outside air coming to the building. And we were surprised at the results. You know, it brings like almost threefold um, increase in human cognition performances. Um, cognitive performances are things like reading, uh, understanding data, making decisions, and that's greatly improved. Um, at the same time, um, it brought around a 30% reduction um, in sick building syndromes. Um, if you, if you um, um, recall 
uh, maybe much earlier, um, that would be what, about a decade ago, um, when buildings were not so well put together. Um, the sick building syndrome is basically when a person gets uncomfortable um, and has uh, reactions to uh, a poorly designed building um, from dizziness, um, teary eyes, coughs, um, sort of like sensitivity kind of reactions. So that's why we call sick building syndrome. And in a green building or a healthy building, you see a 30% reduction there. In, in other words, it's a healthier environment um, for people and makes people um, more productive um, in, 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 in green and healthy buildings. So that sort of green, that's why the term green is what sticks in people's mind that they think of linked to nature and the human experience. And at the end of the day, people are, you know, um, physical beings, biological beings. So there is this biological affinity to nature. Um, and in green buildings, um, the mental well-being is uh, much improved and heightened. Um, so that's another benefit. But what is interesting, um, I think as well, is if we were to take, um, take the benefits of, a, of green building at a more, much more abstracted way of thinking about it, which is systems thinking, okay? Uh, while industrialization and modern engineering um, has greatly improved um, productions and technical knowledge, right? Um, so we've been working on a very specialized and problem decomposed kind of method, and it has bring a lot of advancements and improvements to society. It has always been within silos, okay? So consider the fact that in buildings, okay, over the last, what, almost 50 years, um, there has been great advancements in building components and performances. So energy efficiency of like glass facades, LED lights, air conditioning systems, you know, these things are now way cheaper and they're typically more than twice more energy efficient today. But if we look at the overall building, the overall building efficiency over the last three decades have not moved much. So that's a contradiction. You have components that are now much better, much cheaper, but when you put them together in the building, the performance has not shifted much. So green building as the most abstract level promotes system thinking, okay? It makes us look at the larger picture. It promotes integrated planning, design approaches. It forces us to uh, take our blinkers off and look at the larger picture and not just within our silos or, 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 or disciplines and, and see how the building um, can fulfill both environmental sustainability as well as human pursuits. So you can imagine extending this sort of holistic approach to other aspects um, of decision-making and other disciplines. So I think that's, that's a very uh, abstracted, um, but interesting influence of green buildings um, um, in terms of benefits. Thank you. I think we're all quite surprised that the green building sector actually have this kind of intellectual or may you say philosophical impact on the world. So. I think that's really interesting indeed. So let's move on to the next section of our interview, which is about your personal perspective about this industry or sector. Uh, so firstly, uh, the question I would like to ask is that, what do you think is the main obstacle in um, sustainability? Uh, why are we not seeing more of this green building or simply we are not paying too much attention to it maybe? Okay, that's a good one. Um, well, first you have to clearly define, um, if you're talking about green buildings as a public good or as a capital good, 
Okay, put simply, if we are talking about buildings that do not grossly and frequently waste energy and pollute the environment, then actually almost half of all new buildings in Singapore and in China um, as well are green buildings today. Okay, um, this is achieved by the mandatory policies such as Green Mark in Singapore, or in China's case, um, the Chinese Green Building Label policy. Okay, and that th these policies basically set minimum sustainability standards that um, sort of prohibits a building from being um, really wasteful um, and frequently um, um, underperforming. So think of this as a safety net, right? Um, the resulting building wouldn't be a disaster, okay? But is it really sustainable? And does it immediately avert future problems? Are we just kicking the can down the road? Okay, so that's debatable. So when, when we talk about green buildings, there's, there's, there's this aspect or this category of green buildings. Uh, and by that sort of public good definition, um, actually we do have a lot of green buildings, um, um, as, at least in terms of new buildings that are being put up today. But using this line of thought, if you are looking not to kick the can down the road, but to try our best right now um, in this current building um, to meaningfully solve most of that sustainability problem, then you're right, you know, as you imply your question, um, where we have very, very few uh, buildings that are sustainable or near sustainable. So that brings us back to your questions, right? So what are the challenges um, that prevent more green buildings? Um, is that basically we, we are conscious of sustainability. I think over the last 10 years, that's certainly so. Um, and uh, but what we have today, the challenge, what we have today is sort of a institutional failure. Um, or you could also call it a market failure, um, a technical term, right? Um, I think in economics, if I'm not mistaken, um, and related to this sort of failure or why we don't see more green buildings having this obstacle is that um, there's this immense difficulty um, of buildings being complex systems, okay? That's one. And the other one is that there's this big unevenness of organizational knowledge and skills. Um, and that's really what is stopping us. Okay. Um, I think at this point, you would have noticed that I didn't talk about anything technical um, because I think technology, we, we do have a lot of technical components that are, are pretty good out there, but how do we put them together intelligently? So I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit. So, um, but to, it's not quite, pushing the blame, but it is reality um, that um, this, this market failure situation um, where um, we have as individuals a little bit less influence, but together as a community or a society, we all bear um, part of that responsibility. So um, market failure is basically the, the, I think it's a technical term if I'm not mistaken, it's basically when you get non-optimal or very inefficient results even though all the different players who are involved are acting in very rational and, and, and very uh, self-interest kind of um, decision-making process. So in economics, I think, I think economists usually attribute market failures to distortions from government policies and subsidies. Um, but for, for green buildings specifically, I think the way the industry is organized, it's, it's also causing um, some big problems or challenges. So let's first um, talk about the government subsidies. Um, you would probably know that energy and environmental cost is highly subsidized. It's a very uh, heavily sub energy uh, electricity 
um, is highly subsidized. Uh, pollution is very taxed very, very little. Okay. Uh, and this is because of larger political and societal concerns, right? Such as uh, developmental focus, um, societal equity. Um, but whatever the case is, it is a fact that it is this sort of um, subsidy or, or cost, uh, uh, lack of cost is very damaging for sustainability or, or thinking about sustainability. I mean, when something is cheap, there is simply less motivation to care. Okay, so we can imagine what happens. So I, I think there is much discussion in this area um, already. Um, and there are some ideas to change, um, including um, scoping environmental costs, um, increasing tax. But I, I, I'm not hopeful that it will happen soon or impactful enough, but at least it's starting to move. But by, by nature of this uh, category of problem, it does take a much larger time to solve. Okay, so coupled with this sort of, um, market failure, um, and I was mentioning is the um, the organization or, or the fragmented the fragmentation of the building industry. Okay, or how do we get buildings? The whole process of realizing a building or how a building comes into being. So there are so many independent parts that do not interact well with each other. Okay, especially to consider the overall environmental impact and sustainability of the final building. Okay, you have what. When we want to have a building, right? You start from what um, the financial planning, maybe um, capital raising, maybe developers, architects, engineers, consultants, product manufacturers, builders, facilities managers, and then finally you, the building occupant. So there are so many um, different um, parties involved, and they are all contractually um, and in terms of knowledge also very separated. And all these very siloed and separated parties, they're all each driven by their own targets and rent-seeking behavior. So there's simply no mechanism or policy today that enforces the perspective of sustainability across all the different roles. And that's a big obstacle and challenge to overcome. I mean, take, take simple examples like um, within a building, different people or different occupants, they might have different needs um, or different environmental um, needs and desires. For example, um, the air, the level of lighting, uh, how much aircon, and so on. But at the design stage, how would an engineer be able to optimize a building for um, the system design? Okay, that's, there's simply no visibility and there's so many, uh, there's, there's, there's no feedback, there's no interaction. Or even worse, you know, why would a developer want to invest in a, let's say, energy efficient air conditioning system. Okay? Maybe you are okay with natural ventilation and you don't use aircon much. So it's a good decision upfront to buy, uh, to invest less in a air conditioning system. But maybe the occupant might use um, air conditioning a lot um, and would prefer a more energy efficient air conditioning system. But there is no law or policy right now today that says that the developer must refund you whatever money you use to upgrade um, your air conditioning system to a better one. So there is no mechanisms to force, this is what I mean by there's no mechanism to force um, interaction of the perspectives or to ensure um, that sustainability is something that is um, looked after across um, the building um, delivery process or across all the different roles uh, when we build buildings. So that brings us to the second challenge, um, which is that buildings are highly complex systems and 
we can characterize them as sort of like wicked problems. Okay, so um, complex system is a system that is composed of many different components which may interact with each other and therefore as a whole um, becomes pretty complicated. So the behavior of the system itself is um, therefore very, very complex. And my point here is that simple decomposition into the different subsystems, it's, it's impossible, right? If you optimize in one subsystem, it might not bring overall optimization in the overall building. So if I look at air conditioning, if I have to optimize the air conditioning design for air conditioning, um, it might not interact well with other systems in the building like the air systems or, or other energy systems involved. So um, the answer is always, so when you try to evaluate what is the right thing to do, is this a good thing to do? The answer is always, it depends. It becomes very, very difficult um, to try to decompose the large system into individual silos, which is how the roles are really organized because MNE is in charge of aircon, um, uh, lighting design is in charge of lighting, facade design is in charge of facade. So it's decomposed that way, but the system itself cannot be decomposed like that. So, um, I mean, you, you get, it, it gets in a simple level, for example, at, at a more simple level, for example, if you think about say building insulation, right? Is building insulation good or bad? Is air tightness good or bad? Is a double skin facade good or bad? You can't tell, okay? It, the answer is always, it depends. And you can't tell until you put it together. But when you have a team to put, to put up a building or you have a team to try to design and, and construct a building, you can't possibly have like super geniuses, Einstein's working on buildings. That's very, very inefficient from a market point of view. Right? Can you imagine if you have to go to school for 50 years to learn everything, architecture, mechanical, electrical, structure, energy, lighting, acoustics, economics, just to be able to work in a building industry. That's not, that's not very effective, not very efficient. Maybe that gives you like uh, a better way to achieve sustainability in buildings, but it certainly goes against the grain of societal aspirations, which is to bring as much public good to as much people as quickly as we can. So that's that challenge of, um, of, of complex system. So, um, and besides complex, I, I mentioned wicked, right? So it sounds like a cheeky term and it actually is. It's a very interesting term coined in the 70s um, called wicked problems. Um, which uh, a building is certainly a wicked problem, which, which simply defines a problem as a, a kind of problem that's a social, uh, sorry, a social or a cultural problem that is difficult or impossible to solve. Okay, and that's the definition of, a, uh, I mean, that's a characterization of a, a wicked problem. Why? Why are problems wicked? Because you have no definitive formulation of a problem. That was, that's what makes that problem wicked. The solution depends on how the problem is framed how the problem is framed depends on the solution. So um, it, it, it becomes an a, 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 a infinite cycle. I mean, um, do you look at cost? Do you look at environmental impact? What about human comfort? What about aesthetics? Is it structurally effective? Does it support my urban planning? Um, the, the goalpost keeps sh shifting. And where the goalposts shift next depends on what you do now. In a certain sense, um, when we went through rapid urbanization, um, we solved the problem of urban uh, rapid urbanizations and dense, dense city centers, and we have the sort of building styles that we have today. And then we created a whole energy problem, which led us to talk about sustainability. Great. So let's focus on sustainability for the next 20 years. It's going to shift somewhere else again. So this is by definition a wicked problem. Um, another large part of this is that the stakeholders 
um, are people who have who contribute to solving this problem. They have radically different worldviews and different frames or uh, perspectives for looking at the problem. So how do you bring all these things together? So this is what I was alluding to a moment ago when I was talking about complex systems as well. Um, the third one, it's also very interesting, which is um, the definition of a wicked problem is that um, the, the economic burden is huge and it cannot test your solution until it's almost already done. So a building, okay, you can't prototype buildings, see if it works, uh, and then try to improve it. You might do the next building 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, but you cannot today build a building, test it out. You don't quite like a part, demolish it, build it again, demolish it. You can't do it like a cell phone. You can't do it like a computer. The first time you do it is the last time you get to do it. And there's simply no way to test your idea or your design until the thing is built. So that makes it very, very difficult. Um, so the, um, and the interconnectedness um, of all these um, problems with other problems uh, makes building really, really difficult. So um, since this thing was uh, mentioned, what, uh, 50 years ago, so, so what have they, um, what have people thought about it? Um, actually, it's, it's not all that gloom. So one of the ways to tackle complex systems and wicked problems is a collaborative approach, okay? It's, it's sort of not really directing solving it, but really trying to go around it, which is what really, which really defines what we are after when we do green buildings. So green buildings is trying to do our best um, by engaging all the stakeholders in order to find um, the best solution possible for all the different stakeholders. It's about communication, it's about collaboration, it's about finding ways to bridge different perspectives and different desires. It's trying to find a unified way or language. Math is very um, um, useful here um, to engage everyone and, and, and agree on something. Um, and that's what the green building effort um, really is about. Um, and up to this point, I've not said anything at all about what comes to people's mind when they talk about green buildings, the technology pieces, the technical pieces. And this is where we can start to become very optimistic, right? Because um, I think um, all the parts, all the things, all the technical stuff that we need to achieve sustainability or near sustainability, I think it already exists today. Okay, the challenge is to be able to put it together intelligently. I was talking a moment ago about how glass performance has improved so much. LED lighting is like four times more energy efficient, if not more. Um, we have all these great advancements in technical pieces, but at the building level, it's not shifting much. So it points us towards what the real problem or what the real challenge or where we need to work on hard um, for years to come is systems thinking, is design thinking. And I think and then where we started by talking about um, the, the larger setup uh, yeah, of the industry, okay, it, is, it alludes to trying to find a political will and maturity um, to look at a larger picture, um, which is you know environmental cost long term or sustainability. Um, that's pretty long, but um, there's still one part which is uh, which might be of interest to at least um, people who are interested in new technologies as well. Um, is the problem of unevenness in organizational knowledge and skills. Okay, so the last point on why we do not see more green buildings is the unevenness of knowledge and skills across 
um, all the different stakeholders or all the disciplines um, when we construct a building. Let's use a timeline horizon to organize all these roles. Okay, so on the front part, you have the design people, the developers, the architects, the engineers. Um, the middle part, you have the builders, the product manufacturers, the construction companies. And then um, the last part, okay, timeline-wise, um, will be the operational people, uh, the technicians who maintain the building and run the building. And if we be brutally honest, okay, we have a decreasing level of skills, knowledge, um, as we go down this timeline, okay? So in this aspect, I think new information technology and data science um, has a lot of potential to um, overcome this hurdle of why we do not see more or better green buildings. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about intelligent buildings, building information models of BIM, and so on and so forth over the last 20 years. Um, but like my characterization just now, these are just tools that we will use to realize green buildings. So we're not being able to deploy them well yet. Um, and again, the main obstacle I think is organizational and it's already starting to change slowly. So that would, you know, once we are able to bring um, institutional, institutional or organizational knowledge um, downstream time-wise, right? Um, especially to the manage facilities management part, I think green buildings will, will, will become a lot more obvious. Thank you very much. Uh, that seemed really like a lot of problems the green buildings are facing, but we are glad that there are some signs of solution. So, uh, so uh, one thing I have noticed since I have come back to China in January is that uh, there are really a huge number of electric, electricity powered cars all around. We, so we can feel the uh, effort China is putting into green transportation. Uh, I want to ask, is there a comparable emphasis placed on other sectors related to sustainability, such as green building? Right. Um, two parts to how I respond to that. The first is yes, definitely. Um, I think um, sustainability or environmental protection is certainly something that is more and more um, uh, important and more and more um, looked upon um, in most countries, including Singapore, including China. Um, and they're using new ways and policies and metrics to try to push that. So there's a lot of focus on green building and green building related stuff through, let's say, the carbon um, aspirations of, of China and Singapore, or the climate um, response, the sea level response um, that Singapore is, is planning to have long term. So yes. But um, I would like to switch very quickly to the second part, um, which is how you, which is this observation that you made, right? Um, that electricity powered cars or, or electric vehicles are very prevalent and it's called green transportation. Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. Yeah, um, a little bit of math, um, but let's think about that for a moment. Um, internal combustion engines, okay, or the traditional cars that uses gasoline or in Singapore called petrol. Okay, um, theoretically, they are about 50% efficient in terms of converting energy to power, um, but it's not a perfect world. Uh, realistically, they're about 35%, about 35% efficient. So let's remember that number for a while. Uh, traditional petrol or get, uh, internal combustion engines, about 35%. Now let's look at so-called electric vehicles, okay? Coal-fired power plants, okay? 
have about the same kind of efficiency. In fact, slightly higher, about 37%. Grid losses, you know, if it's a really good grid, right? So caveat that a really good grid, you lose about 5%. The charging and then the energy conversions within a car, okay, um, is only about 77%. Now you, you put that all together, an electric car is really only about 27%, all things considered, 27, 27. So that's quite a lot lower than internal combustion engines. Now, even if you change the original source from the coal-fired power plant, 35, to let's say gas power plants, which are more efficient, that's what Singapore uses. Okay, it only goes up, the electric car overall efficiency front to end goes up to about what, 31, 32%. Okay, I might be wrong here. These stats might be a little bit updated, but the magnitudes are, or, or the logical thinking remains the same. So it's really the same or slightly lower than internal combustion engines, the electric car. And that's why in Singapore, we actually have a pollution tax when you use an electric car. Okay, so um, now then let's look at the uh, uh, more qualitative aspects. You know, I'm here in Shanghai. More and more of my colleagues are driving now. Okay, a lot of them did not use to drive because it's like near impossible to ballot or, 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 or apply for a normal driver's uh, car license plate. But now if you buy an electric vehicle, you get a free uh, green plate. That's what they call it here, right? Um, and I think, I'm not sure whether I'm right, but I think there are more cars on the road now. At least more of my colleagues are driving. And I sense that I, I feel I need to verify this, but I think there are more cars uh, there are more car miles per person uh, right now, okay? As in people are using um, cars to drive around uh, more. Now, is this really improving sustainability? So I think my point here is to sort of use this example um, to, to challenge your question now. Is, is the emphasis on green transport what you see? Or is it because that it's, it's actually, the emphasis is actually on something else, like let's say technology security, champion industries, societal access to luxuries. I mean, things that might be too complicated to discuss and easier to wrap up, you know, using a simple sustainability theme. Is, is that the case? So I know I've not answered your question. Um, yes. Um, very quickly, I would say yes, there, are, uh, there is a lot of emphasis on um, green buildings um, in, in China, in Singapore, I believe around the, the world, but though I'm not that familiar with the rest of the industries, all economies, um, and it comes in a form of um, energy mandates, uh, material subsidies, material uh, mandates, um, new policies. Uh, there's a lot of effort and a lot of emphasis, but the whole challenging and, 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 and the math that we just went through is to, to, to demonstrate that sort of integrated approach or that sort of systems thinking. That, that's what I would like to um, associate with green buildings, um, is to try to look at the larger um, impact um, and that's why required is why it's green building that's what green buildings are about i see thank you um that is really another puzzling but valuable question we have to answer uh so uh with that done we are moving on to the last session of the interview which is your personal recommendation to aspiring mm -hmm. individuals that uh, want to get into the green sector so uh uh, from our research, we noticed that the, the company EMSI is currently hiring. So what talents, skills or expertise are sought after by a company such as EMSI? 
Right. Um, well, um, maybe I start with what we do in a green building consultancy. And that will very quickly illustrate or, uh, or clarify some of the things that we're looking out for, right? So as a green building consultant or sustainability consultant, basically we help building developers or building owners understand what sustainability is, um, to help them choose their mission, to help them formulate their objectives and to help them approach, um, to structure their approach and goals for sustainability. We then work with their design team or their building team, um, the architects, the uh, MNU consultants, facilities managers, and so on and so forth to help the team with like an integrated design approach so that the building will become a green building. And finally, um, to do that, um, as this large team, interdisciplinary team is working together, uh, common language will be performance metrics, right? RMB or rate of returns and financial uh, things are obviously always there. But besides that, um, for sustainability, we talk about, let's say, kilowatt per hour, uh, kilowatt hours per square meter per year. We talk about locks. We talk about, so there are a lot of technical um, quantities can, that can be used to quantify performance and sustainability. And what EMSI does is that we do all the um, calculations. We do a lot of um, modeling work computer simulations for energy, lighting, acoustics, and so on and so forth. So that's uh, a more comprehensive description of what we do as a building consultant. So coming back to what are the talents that, that we, look out, uh, we look out for. Um, so you can see that um, we look out for logical and critical thinking, okay? Uh, dexterity and ease of dealing with concepts, structures, but very quickly bringing it down to a technical level. But the technical skills, um, I think personally, um, is something that can be learned and trained. So usually when we look um, for new hires, we don't have, I don't put them through a math test. I don't put them through calculation tests, okay? We assume that they don't know, and therefore it's our duty to, to groom them and train them, but that they must first have some broad-based understanding of buildings. Um, and that's really all we look out for. But what's more important, and I think is the soft skill, right? Um, the ability to, or to show the um, aptitude or, or, or potential um, to facilitate collaboration, to, to engage in uh, design thinking. Okay, and that's, that's sort of uh, the direction of skills and expertise that we look out for. Okay, it's, it's not a hard set. Okay, it's not a clearly defined set of, oh, you must know this skill, you must use that software. Um, we are pretty relaxed on that, okay, because we see that as our duty to train. Um, and I think that's easy to train. What is more difficult is the um, approach that one has mentally um, to problems. And that's what we look out for. Thank you. So what is looked after? looked after is more than just uh, proficiency in a certain hard skill, but more of a uh, willingness to engage in design and cooperation. Is that true? Yes. Yes, Thank definitely you. so. Yep. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, so if I, let's suppose I am a student who wish to join the green industry, uh, mm -hmm. which academic path should I take to best prepare for such a career? Right. So it's a 
pretty young industry. Um, it's only about what fifty years old. Okay, I mean, in an industry anything less than one or two hundred is like a baby, right? So um, there are a couple of schools out there globally that have started to um, deal with they call it building science or environmental science or building systems or, or, or sustainability. They tend to be more related to building science. So there are some of these degree programs or courses out there. Um, but like I said, because this is a pretty young industry, um, these courses are also in development. So in other words, it's not, we, we don't only look at graduates of these programs. Um, we, we are actually um, willing to take, um, um, I think, sorry, I think anyone with any degree program related to buildings and is in a position to engage the sort of problems we discussed um, today is, is suited um, to join the industry. Um, most of the time, um, efforts have to be focused though, right? A, a company um, or an organization usually have some business focus on an area that they're really good at. And that's probably a good way to start. So for example, in my company, um, our focus is on energy, a large focus on energy. We do a lot of things, but a large part of our focus is on energy efficiency. So a lot of my engineers, um, they are engineers, a lot of my staff, they're actually engineers and they come from some related um, building engineering kind of background, um, be it mechanical and electrical, be it controls, be it um, um, building science, uh, acoustics, water, um, et cetera. Um, and that's a lot of my staff, um, I think about, I would say like 90% of them come from some sort of engineering background. Um, I do have two um, engineers who are from fluid dynamics. Um, so these are people who are very good at looking at um, systems um, and analysis and computation. I have um, one um, staff from geography. So that's very broad-based, very liberal arts, but it was about a system, uh, sort of a broad-based um, perspective to be able to consider um, different um, angles. And, and that's what made her very suited in this company. Um, and I have one um, staff who's also from environment and energy economics and policy. Um, and she's doing pretty well too, um, because of the, I think the economics and policy dimension um, to looking at problems. And then of course, last but not least myself, I'm the only architect um, in the um, company, but um, we all deal with buildings. So really any degree program um, as of today, any degree program that uh, brings you in touch with um, energy systems, certain aspects of energy um, that deals with the environment, um, it's, it's probably good enough. Okay, so the door is actually open to a wide range of milieu, but yes, the is. company, specific companies, looks for something specific, right? Right. We have, um, we have well, we have basically three types of companies. Um, one type of company is like mine, which is um, a bit engineering focused, a bit focused on some engineering problem like energy efficiency and carbon. So a lot of my people will be um, from that sort of engineering background. Um, the second kind of um, company looks more on the human dimensions or the interiors, okay? Interior environments or buildings. Um, so backgrounds in acoustics and air quality um, is pretty suited. Um, the third type of company um, are more project managers. 
they are more program drivers. So there are a lot of um, general um, MBA graduates in that sort of companies. So I would, I would characterize it that way. Thank you. That's very illuminating indeed. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, Any tidbits oh, of yeah. information? Um, um, while we are on this topic, uh, I think uh, Singcham Shanghai is going to organize a sustainability forum um, sometime in November, um, where we'll be bringing together um, all the different stakeholders across the industry right, from the finance people to the developers, to the IT solutions, um, to the consultants, um, and so on and so forth. And um, it will be sometime in November, it will be offline um, in Shanghai. So I'll certainly share that uh, uh, and pass that uh, message along when, that, um, when more details are, are available. Sure, we'll certainly deliver that message to relevant personnel. Uh, Thanks. Is there anything else? Yeah, I do sure. have good. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I think that's a lengthy but very valuable interview indeed. So, uh, uh, and that will conclude our interview with Dr. Huang. Thank you for your time.